0: One thing I uh, think of is the beginning of the year and all the, uh, uh, now it's mostly on social media, all the predictions that people get into uh, at the beginning of the year. I remember as a little kid, my grandmother, called her Nana, uh, she had a penchant, much to my grandfather's uh, dismay, of buying some of those tabloids that were at the checkout counter, you know? And I remember some of the crazy ones called Midnight World, and they had some really, of course, the National Enquirer, right? The infamous psychic Jean Dixon uh, that would always be given lots of coverage with her predictions. And nobody ever seemed to hold any of them accountable to whether they came true or not. But here's the bottom line as we go into 2024. We do not know what's going to happen. Right? We do not know what's going to go on. And the good news is God does. I'll say that again for the Kathleen folks. God knows what's going on. He is in control, and as much as we fret and, and worry, uh, look, think of all the things that we think that we're going to count on and be relied upon. Think of things that of of companies that were massive corporations, you know, 20 years ago that aren't even in existence today. Things that we think you got a if you got a job with this company. You were set for life. That wasn't always the case. Some of those blue chip stock companies don't even exist today. There's a lot of things we've leaned into in life that have proven and come up empty. Uh, One thing we cannot count on is that things are necessarily going to get better. I mean, it doesn't seem that we're on that trajectory. Now, the Bible gives us a picture that before the coming of Christ, and no man knows the hour of the day, but I can tell you this, we're further closer to that than the disciples were in the New Testament. Hello? All right? And the Bible does not paint a picture of this earth getting better and better. In fact, it shows that it's going to get worse and worse. And some places around the world are experiencing that more so than we are here. And We can't count on that. There's going to be, you know, world peace. That's going to be the the hook that the deceiver, the antichrist, brings at the end, is to provide a false peace. Uh, We cannot count on the economy. If you've done done a a grocery shopping in the last year, you know that that you know is changed and how much you spend at the store. The economy always fluctuating, and there's an election this year. Oh, oh boy, I I think I found one of my stints cut out on me. Um, But, you know, you can't count on the politicians, even the ones we will vote for. There's always going to be people that we can't count on. But the good news is, is there is someone... We can always count on. That's always got all things under control, and it's not you and me. It's not you and me, but God has all things under control. And one thing that that is so true in First Chronicles twenty nine eleven. It'll be on the screen. And by the way, you have a listeners guide in your bulletin. You can follow along this morning. And I just wanna, I just wanna give you a word of. I like the first Sunday to kind of just give a kind of a word of encouragement. Next Sunday, we're going to begin a series on the Lord's Prayer and uh, kind of walk through that for a couple of months and begin that. But this morning, I'm just going to give some thoughts. We're going to celebrate the Lord's Table, communion a little later on. And uh, so we want to kind of build our, our thoughts and faith as we anticipate that. But one thing you can count on is that God is in control. First Chronicles 29, reads, Lord... You are great and powerful. You have glory, victory, and honor. Everything in heaven and on earth belongs to you. Everything. There's not one renegade atom. There's not one renegade molecule that's running independent of the control of God. He controls all things. Everything in heaven and on earth belongs to you, the kingdom belongs to you, Lord, you are the ruler over everything. And that's just going to be the theme verse this morning, as we look at the title of this morning's message is, one thing you can count on. One thing you can count on, I should say, one person you can count on, and that is God Himself. God is in control. When we talk about God's control, we're talking about what we often refer to as God's sovereignty. God's sovereignty. That means He is the absolute authority in life. He's the ultimate ruler. God is in charge. He is in control. The Bible teaches clearly that God is, that God is the maker of all things. He created creation. He sustains creation He overrules creation when He wants to. We call that a miracle. That God is in absolute sovereign control. And that God is in control of history. In fact, the very word history is His story. History. History, as Scripture and life really is by God's design runs linear. That means it's moving forward. It's moving forward to some conclusion. It had a beginning. It has a middle and it will have an end. There will be a season. There will be a time. There will be a moment in history. The Bible talks about that. When things come to a conclusion and God is vindicated over all things. He's not waiting to be vindicated. He's in control right now all things. Life, contrary to what Eastern religions would teach, life is not circular. Eastern religions, many of them teach a reincarnation, that we die and we just kind of our souls get recycled back into the universe, right? And if you, some of them, you know, Hinduism, if you were a mean guy on this earth, you might come back as a, as a skunk in the next life as your punishment. And if you're a good skunk, well, you might get You might get a bonus in the next cycle. No, the Bible does not present life as circular. It's linear. It's moving towards a conclusion. History is moving towards a grand finale. And that grand finale, the Bible teaches us, is that Jesus Christ is literally, physically, bodily returning and coming back. And when we talk about the beginning of the year and the fact that God is in control It's a good reminder to realize that we are not just uh, part of, you know, I'll speak generationally. I remember one of the first rock group concerts I went to was Kansas, and it was their big hit, I know I'm dating myself, but Dust in the Wind, all we are is dust in the wind. You could have taken that right out of the book of Ecclesiastes, that there is no meaning, there is no purpose, we're all... Just dust in the wind. Pink Floyd, we're another brick in the wall. There is meaningless, there is no meaning or purpose in life. Well, the Bible declares that there is purpose. Why? Because God is a God of purpose. God is a God of absolute control. Sorry, I don't have any Frank Sinatra songs or Beach Boy songs. That's the best I can do. I'm a child of the 70s. But God had presents a grand design and that's the wonderful thing when you read scripture and you see that this is not just some random abstract sayings and thoughts like the book of like Confucius sayings or whatever that this presents a purpose and a design of God's redemptive plan of history and that we're part of that and we're thankful that God is in control of the past the present and the future and the good news is God is not only in control of the past, present, and future, but he's in control of my past, your past, your present, your future. He has got you in his control. And that means God's sovereignty, the one thing, the one person you can count on, is that God is in charge. And that has not changed. That means he's in charge of you and me. He's in charge of this church. He's in charge of this nation. He's not fretting, wondering what's going to happen You know, this year. It's all under his sovereign hand. He's not worried about Vladimir Putin. He's not worried about Hamas. He's not worried about the election, the economy, because everything is moving towards God's grand purpose and grand finale. Does that mean things consequences of people's actions and sins no god allows god allows consequences for sin and people's actions and so one of the areas that we need to be encouraged in is to be reminded that there's some things we just don't have any choice in whether you realize it or not or understand we talk about god's sovereignty and the fact that god has determined and chosen you and God has determined and chosen uh, all that is, you may be aware that there's a lot of things in your life, the fact that you had no choice in. You didn't choose where to be born. You didn't choose when to be born. You didn't choose who your parents were, who to be born to. You didn't choose your nationality. You didn't choose your ethnicity. You didn't choose your gender. Hello? God determined that. He created male and female, all right? Crazy, we have to even talk that way. He didn't choose your talents, your gifts, your interests. He didn't choose your personality. Now, we've, we've modified our personality by our quirks, but God, here's the point is, and this is what David said so wonderfully in Psalm 139, verse 13 and 14, David said, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Psalm 139 speaks about how God has knitted us together while we were in our mother's womb. God purposed us and designed our lives. So for the believer, that's a reminder that we need to maintain is that as we stand on the threshold of 2024, we need to be comforted in the fact that we believe in a God who made all things, controls all things, sustains all things, and has gone into the future way ahead of anything that we could ever know, understand, and so we can absolutely trust Him. Sometimes we say, well, what about this? What about that? And so many times I say, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that, but one thing I do know is that God is trustworthy. God is holy. He will never violate His character. God is truthful, that God is purposeful and and works all things together for my good according to His will and purpose. And we're going to talk about that this morning. The certain truth that we can count on, the one thing we can count on is God. And so I hope you open your uh, listener's guide and follow along. I want to point out three things as we Look at God's word this morning and encourage a little bit topically before we partake of communion. And consider three things you need to remember about God's control. That because God is in control in 2024, number one, my plans, my plans will have a limit. People say, the sky's the limit. No, that's not true. There is a limitation to what you and I can do. There's a limitation of what you and I are able to do. God puts limits on things. We are not just freelancing and running amok independent of God. So my plans, they're going to have a limit. And there's nothing wrong with having plans. Proverbs 19.21 says, Many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. I'm not sure if I have this up there in Proverbs 16.1. The Good News translation says, We may make our plans, but God has the final or last word. We may make our plans, but guess what? God has the last word. If you made plans this past year and you look back and think, boy, I was off in that. I wasn't even close in that. Those didn't go the way that I thought. That didn't happen the way that I thought. That didn't happen the way I anticipated it. God changes the course of our plans. Why? Because He's the ultimate sovereign architect over all things. And so my plans do have a limit. We may make our plans, but our plans have a limit. And as I said, I'm not saying you shouldn't have goals in 2024. That's a good thing. I'm not saying you shouldn't make plans. In fact, the Bible says in Proverbs 16:9 that a man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. In the New, uh, new Century version that I think I have in your, your outline, people may make plans in their minds... But the Lord decides what they will do. It's okay to make plans, but it's the Lord. And I think what God is counseling us, and we'll look at James in just a minute, is to not be presumptuous. You know what presumptuous is? It's where you've kind of, you just know, and you've made some thoughts and expectations without really a sense of saying, well, maybe, I'm going to go this way, but the same time, I'm prayerfully allowing the Holy Spirit to navigate, move my steps. It's not being presumptuous. It's not saying, I know exactly what's going to happen in 2024. I know exactly. No, you don't. And I don't either. But we can trust one who does. The older I get, I realize, and I think also the older I get spiritually, and hopefully this is true of your life, is the more God works in us a maturity of spiritual flexibility. I'm more flexible than I used to be. I'm more flexible than I was nine years ago. And some of you are laughing because you know it's true. But that's what, that's what hopefully growing, personally, maturing, spiritually, God does in your life. And part of that maturing process... Is you've learned to just be more flexible in the plans and goals that you make. Don't just presume that certain things are gonna happen a certain way because you decided as a believer, and again, I'm talking to believers, is that all things are under God's sovereign hand. When I was 16, I knew everything, and my dad didn't know squat. Isn't that amazing? And then when I got to be 21, I thought, man, he is the smartest man in the whole world. How would that happen in such a short time? You realize that you grow and things happen. My plans have a limit. But here's the key. If my plans have a limit, God is sovereign. Here's the key. And I think Paul helps us in Philippians 4, 6. Paul says, don't worry. This is from the New Living Translation. Paul says, don't worry about anything, but instead, what? Pray. 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 Talk to God. That's all prayer is. Next week, I guess, as I say, we're going to begin a series on the Lord's Prayer. It's really the disciples' prayer, but it's the Lord's Prayer because that's what we're used to calling it. And it's not some magical formula. God, uh, the Lord Jesus, when the disciples heard Jesus pray, they asked Him, Teach us to pray like we hear you pray. You pray with, a, with an intimacy like you know who you're praying to. You see, most people still have a prayer that is just kind of a re- repetition. We change our voices. We go into kind of a repetitive mode of certain things. And we're not really... We don't talk to other people that way. But somehow we've disconnected in understanding that our relationship to God in Christ through the Holy Spirit, we have a relationship to a person in the Holy Spirit. And so Paul says, pray about everything. Communicate to God. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all that He's done. So in everything, what is our posture? It is don't be presumptuous. And I mentioned James because I think James gives us the clearest counsel on this when he says in James 4, 13 through 15, James says, look here, you who say, quote, today or tomorrow we are going to a certain town and we'll stay there a year. He's kind of given a hypothetical conversation. Today or tomorrow we're going to a certain town and we'll stay there a year and we will do business there and make a profit. He's just kind of making kind of a hypothetical of what we'll do. Verse 14, how do you know, James says, how do you know what your life, lo- life will be like tomorrow? I told you five years ago, I woke up on a Monday morning and thought, I'd, man, I just had some really tough indigestion. My wife tried to kill me at a barbecue place the day before. No, she didn't. But I woke up the next day and I felt just this uneasiness. And after dragging it out, finally went to the hospital and they said, you're having a heart attack right now. Probably been having one. If I just sloughed it off and said, oh, as most men will do, you'd have a different pastor up here leading you. I wouldn't be around. I didn't have any idea Sunday and there wasn't any little reminder, you know, you get a little notice on your phone. Hey, tomorrow at when you wake up at 8 30, you're gonna have a heart attack. Oh, that's good to know. I'll plan accordingly. Life does not work that way, does it? It doesn't work that way. So again, James is saying, How do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like the morning fog. It's here a little while, and then it's gone. He says, verse 15, what you ought to say, what you ought to say when you make plans, and this is the counter of being presumptuous, if, if the Lord will, wants us to, we will live and we will do this or do that. If the Lord wills. God, I'm submitting all these plans. Now, I'm not saying, God, do you want me to go to work this morning? God, do you want me to get out of bed? Do you want me to wake up? God, do you want me to eat cereal this morning or do you want me to make eggs? I mean, God, I mean, I'm talking about that. Don't don't get spiritually weird, okay? He's just saying as we navigate life, operate in a posture that I'm God's, that I'm God's person, God has a design for my life, and I'm living. We talk about praying without ceasing. It's just a constant mindset of saying, Lord, I'm just trusting your direction. I'm just trusting your leading here. And plus, if you ask him, trust him i mean listen if you ask him to direct you listen listen to what he would say interesting the old puritan writers back in the day when they would write a letter to somebody or they would write something they might would say and we plan to go you know to this town tomorrow and in parentheses they would write the letters d v d v and that was, stood for the Latin, Deo Volente. And it was Latin that meant, if the Lord wills. And even in their writing, they were acknowledging, Lord, here's my plans, but just in that simple act, I'm acknowledging, God, if, if, that's, your, if that's your purpose, I trust you to lead me and guide me. One of the prayers that I prayed in these nine and a half years that I've been here pastoring it seemed to, in some way, and Sharon and I are always praying, is, God, what's the next step? What, what do you want us to do? What do you want us to do next? What's the direction that you want us to, to, to go in? And certainly, we have wise counsel that's part of that. And that's a good prayer for you to pray. God, what's your next step for 2024? Do we just assume we know? God, what do you, what do you have designed for my life? What's the next step for my family, my job, my retirement, my vacation, whatever it is. God, am I, am I allowing you into my life, or do I just make presumptions that you're just gonna bless what I decide? You see, and here it is. Listen to this. Instead of saying, God bless what I'm doing, you ought to start praying, God help me to do what you're blessing. You see the difference? God, help me to see where you're blessing and help me get in on what you're doing. That When we did the experiencing God, that's the basic foundation. You want to know the will of God? Find out what God's doing, where he's working, and get in on his agenda. Secondly, because God is in control, not only do my plans have a limit, but secondly, my problems have a purpose. My problems have a purpose. That's good news. As I said, life has meaning. It doesn't mean I always understand what's behind certain things. But life, if I didn't believe life had some sense of purpose and meaning, ultimately, whether I totally grasp that or not, some of you that may have taken philosophy in college and studied uh, existentialism and the and, uh, philosophy of nothingness. That's, those are the kind of classes I like. Nothingness, nothingness, right? It's like a class about nothing. That's what I want to take. I, hopefully, I get a. They say, What's your grade? Nothing. <laughs> no. But, but no, it's a sense that there's no purpose or meaning. And so, there's entire philosophical views. And some of these people have just drove themselves into the grave in a sense of suicide because they live and have convinced their lives that they are just that dust in the wind, they're that brick in the wall, they're just the latest blob that has evolved through the evolutionary cycle over billions and trillions of years, and they're no more distinct than the roach or the salamander. You see, because when you build a system without a creator, without an intelligent designer, without a grand architect who has all things under sovereign control, there is no purpose or meaning for your existence. What hope is there? There is none. But that's not the world that God has presented. And where that really comes crashing in on us is when we go through hardship and suffering. Because all of a sudden our world gets rocked by crisis. And the Bible, in a very overly simplistic way, without getting too deep in the weeds with this, is that everything that happens in my life, the Bible says, even the bad is father-filtered. Did you hear what I said? It's fathered filtered Now let me unpack that a little bit and explain it in a brief way. Don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that everything that happens to you is God's perfect will. Sometimes we try to distinguish in talking about God's permissive will versus perfect will. Was it God's perfect will for Adam and Eve to disobey God and draw the entire human race into absolute corruption and depravity? Was that God's will? No, but God allowed it. God allowed, and God will allow you to make bad choices. And guess what? God will let you live with the consequences of those bad choices. How do you know? I know. I know. (laughs) And you know too. See, the tension in Scripture, when I say tension, it's really it's not a contradiction, it's just that our little finite minds putting together two twin truths of God's sovereignty and man's responsibility and man's will. We may not be able to, to kind of put those and balance those out, but guess what? God has no problem operating with those two twin truths that He's in absolute control and yet He allows His these humans that he made to function and make choices for their life. But man does not have ultimate choice over God. God is still in charge. And God can never cause, and I think that's the important thing to to remember, is that even though God allows suffering and sin, God allows that, because that's the consequence going back to, what Genesis 3 talks about, the fall, the sin, and the result of that that is cascaded down through the human race, that God has allowed that. God himself never causes somebody to sin. God never uses sin to hurt or tempt somebody. God never gives cancer to anybody. Is cancer a consequence of of our fallen creation. Romans 8, read Romans 8, not now, but Romans 8 talks about how creation groans for the, for, for the fulfillment of God's redemptive purposes even over creation. And so when we talk about God's will, James again is a good counselor. James 1, 13-15 about distinguishing between God causing and us having consequences. Look at James 1:13 and 14. And remember, when you are being tempted, tempted to sin, do not say, God is tempting me. As though, I don't have any choice. God has predestined me to do this, and I'm going to sin, and I'm going to do it, and I'm going to blame God. No, 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 no. Because God, he says, he goes on, God is never tempted to do wrong. And he never tempts anyone else. He never leads anybody else into doing that which violates his character. But here it is, verse 14. Temptation to disobey, to violate the will of God comes from what? Our own what? Desires. God's will is not always done on earth. Why do we pray, as we'll study in the Lord's Prayer, Thy will be done on earth as it is in... You realize there's no debate about the will of God in heaven. It's down here, Thy will be done. The effects of sin, as I said, the cause, the problems, the choices. And the Bible presents that, to our main point, is that God has a purpose in our problems, and our crises. God doesn't cause your problems, but He does permit them. He does allow them. Did God permit Paul to be sent to prison and die and be executed in Rome? yes. But one of the benefits of Paul being isolated in jail is we have the benefit of most of the New Testament letters that God kind of boxed him in for a season for God to pour into his revelation that we benefit today. Was that the only reason? No, but that certainly is an obvious one. What about Pharaoh? Remember Pharaoh back in the Old Testament? He allowed Pharaoh to say no to Moses 10 times. You say, where's the grace? The grace is that God gave Pharaoh. 10 opportunities to obey. And Pharaoh, every time, and every time you and I sin, we get a little hardened and a little more callous. And that's why the next sin is easier the next time than it was the first time. Pharaoh got his heart so hardened. Was that God's will? Did God wouldn't have been wonderful if Pharaoh would have just obeyed God and seen the miraculous and allowed God to have control. That would have been God's perfect will, but He didn't do that. God allowed that. What about Jesus? God could have... The Father could have kept Jesus off the cross. Right? Some of you aren't sure. Yes, He could have. Jesus, in Matthew 26, 53, said that if I wanted to, I could call my Father... And he would send 12 legions of angels to my rescue. One legion, that's a Roman uh, army of Roman soldiers. One legion is 6,000 soldiers. So if Jesus said, my father could assemble 12 legions, that's about 72,000 angels (laughs) dispatched immediately to rescue Jesus. But Jesus being God, a very God, I mean, in one sense, you could say, did he need angels? I don't know. I'll let you... That's kind of those things that rocks think about at night, right? You know, just, you know, can God create something so big he can't lift it? I mean, it's just like those crazy questions people ask you, like where Cain got his wife and that kind of thing. <laughs> Cain got his wife from his mother-in-law. I mean, what, you, what else do you expect, all right? You see, Jesus is in absolute control. Jesus said in John ten ten. Sometimes we'll say, and I've even said this, but Jesus was not, he he was not subject to events and circumstances that were out of his control. Jesus said, in, in John 10, 18, he said, no one takes my life, I lay it down freely. No one killed Jesus, he gave his life. When he died on the cross, the Bible says that he gave up, the old King James says he gave up the ghost. In other words, he gave up and died when he determined the moment and the time. Jesus being in absolute control even over his own death on the cross. You see, the enemy, Satan, thought he had the last word when, when Jesus was on that cross. He's done it. He's killed the Son of God. He's ended those plans. But that wasn't the case. Because why? Because God was in control. You see, God is an expert in the turnaround. And what the enemy thought was a victory, God had a resurrection in the, in the works, in the plans. Because, see, God allowed what was A dark, terrible moment that the Son of God was crucified for our sins. But yet the good news is, is that without that death, there would be no resurrection. And there would be no finished atonement and work that we will celebrate in the elements of communion. The finished work of Jesus Christ. God is a God of recovery. He doesn't waste anything. And He's not going to waste any of your problems that happen in 2023. He's moving and using them to further your reflection of His grace and His glory in your life. Here's a principle, and it'll be on the screen. Because God says my problems have a purpose, then I can totally and absolutely trust Him. Because no matter what happens this next year, a loving and holy God is going to have a purpose behind my life. I may or may not understand it, but I can 100% Trust Him completely with my future. Some of you are facing some medical uncertainties. That's a word for you. You can absolutely trust Him with your future. 100%. Because God has a purpose behind my trials. You know, I can't get through a message without mentioning Joseph. But wasn't that the essence of Joseph? When he said to his brothers who allowed him to be bought into slavery and Joseph's life was a cascade of false accusations, false accusations of sexual assault and all these things that that he suffered greatly for. And when he was speaking to his brothers there, now he's in second command of Egypt and he told his brothers that what you meant for evil, God meant for good. Why? Because God's in control and God had a purpose behind everything that Joseph went through. Look at Romans. I'm going to read to you Romans 8 from the message paraphrase. Message paraphrase is kind of fun to read. It's not for serious Bible study, but it's a paraphrase. Uh, it's different than a translation, but it, it sometimes rewords things, I think, in a helpful way. And listen to how Romans 8, I'm going to pick a few verses, it'll be on the screen, but this is from the message paraphrase, all right? Paul, Romans 8, verse 31, so what do you think? With God on our side like this, how can we lose? If God before us, who can be against us? Verse 35, do you think anyone is going to be able to drive a wedge between us and Christ's love for us? There's no way. Not trouble, not hard times, not hatred, not hunger, not homelessness, not bullying, threats, not backstabbing, not even the worst sins listed in Scripture. None of this phases us because Jesus loves us. Verse 38, I'm absolutely convinced that nothing, nothing living or dead, angelic or demonic, Today or tomorrow, high or low, thinkable or unthinkable, absolutely nothing can get between us and God's love because of the way that Jesus, our Master, has embraced us. I like that. That's the hope of 2024. Because God is in control, my plans have a limit. He's in charge. My problems have a purpose. He'll handle them. He'll help me. And then there's a third thing, that because God is in control, my prayers have an impact. Again, we're going to talk about prayer for several weeks when we study the Lord's prayer. Prayer is not just a waste of time. Have you ever prayed and you're not praying too long before uh, whether it's my own flesh or it's spiritual attack, and all of a sudden you hear these thoughts that say, you know, nobody's hearing this. There's not really a God. He's not listening. You're wasting your time. This is just kind of self-therapy. You're just psyching yourself up. It's a psychological trick. There's really no such thing as prayer I mean, look at those things you asked for last week. How'd that work out? Prayer doesn't work. Why are you wasting your time? Am I the only one that's ever kind of heard those thoughts go through your mind? And you think, boy, is this, is this, is this really a part of God? Is this real? No, prayer is something that God has ordained. Prayer is communication. Prayer is the means where we talk to God and God talks to us. Prayer works. Why? Because God is in control. J.I. Packer, who wrote the great book Knowing God, made this statement. I always remember. He said, every person that gets on their knees to pray and asks God anything is acknowledging the sovereignty of God over all things, whether they understand the theology behind it or not. But why? When you pray, what are you asking? You're saying, God, I need you to intervene in this situation. But if your God is a God who's subject to His own creation and is not in control, then yeah, that is a kind of a waste of time. But you pray, we pray, because the Bible presents a God who is, as I said, in control over all things that He has made my life and the future of my life. And so we pray. My prayers have impact. And impact because God is in control. God can overrun His creation whenever He wants. God can overrule human law. Some of you have had situations where you got a letter or a decision that was made and there seemed to be some finale to it only to have it something completely reversed that God turned it around. Why? Because you prayed and you asked and you believed God to do it. There are times in which we pray and sometimes God does not reverse certain things. But guess what? Like like Paul said when he prayed about that thorn in the flesh. Remember he talked about that thorn in the flesh? said he asked God three times. Three is just a number. In other words, he's saying, I ask God continually over and over. And the Lord didn't remove whatever that thorn is. Everybody wants to speculate what it is. We don't know. But whatever it was, it doesn't matter because the Bible doesn't tell us. But the Lord answered Paul and said, my what? My grace is sufficient. In other words, Paul, I'm going to leave that thorn in your life because that thorn forces you to depend on me and look to me and listen to me because I know you Paul because I made you. You're fearfully and wonderfully made and I know if I remove that I'd remove a component in your life that I'm using. A pain, a suffering. Something that you want removed. In fact, Paul says it's a, a Uh, uh, something that's come from Satan, that God has allowed that. Think about that. God says, my grace. What is He saying? I, you think this is your need? I'm sufficient. So many times I think, God, if you could just meet this need, if you could just do this. And I've learned that sometimes those empty caverns of Emptiness in my life that are unfulfilled. God has allowed them to remain empty. Why? Because He wants me to look to Him to be the fulfillment of every empty hole in my life that He says I'm sufficient. You're lonely? He's sufficient. He's a friend that will be closer than any brother. Ephesians 3.20 reminds us of sometimes how weak our prayers are. Paul says, Now all glory to God, who is able through His mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. We pray small prayers, don't we? Let's be honest. We pray small prayers. Do we pray prayers that are such impossibilities that if God doesn't intervene... I mean, the situation, are we saying, well, you know, God, I would ask this, but, you know, just think this might be over your head. Don't think you can handle this one. Follow me on this. Since God is in control, what is the best way to enter 2024? Acknowledge His control and direction over your life. And you acknowledge that by obedience, by listening, humility to His grace. Acknowledge it. Don't fight it. Don't run against it. Don't push against it. Accept it. Cooperate with it. Be grateful for it. Enjoy the blessing of it. And say, God, I know that You can control the uncontrollable. You can control that which is uncontrollable in my life. I'm going to look to You in a new and fresh way as I open a chapter into this year. And I'm going to stop worrying. Some of you obsess and worry about your job. You worry about your finances. Is there going to be enough to at the end of life? You worry about your kids, your grandkids. You worry about death. You worry about getting sick. Listen, that doesn't make you weird. That's normal. Worry, in one sense of being concerned about those things, is normal. But worry is a confession that's saying, God, I'm not sure I can trust you. I'm not sure I can rely on you. Worry is an obsession where we're dethroning God in control and we're saying, God, I, 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 I've got to take over the controls of this thing because, you know, you, you, I don't I don't, hear what you, I don't hear you doing anything. I don't see what you're doing. The Bible says he never sleeps nor slumbers. We can trust him with that which is uncontrollable. You know, beginning of the year, I like to do this because I think this is the foundation of any direction in our life and the best way to prepare for 2024. And on the back of your listener's guide, i going to mention these real quick, is you need to have a base, B-A-S-E, in your life. This podium, it has a base down there. That base helps it to be stable, keeps it upright. The reason some people in their lives are such perpetual chaos is because there's no base in their life. There's no, we might say foundation, but foundation was too many letters to finish this out. So base is only four letters. So there is an acrostic, four things that you need to reestablish your base. And this may be for nobody or it may be for somebody, but let it be a reminder, it's the beginning of the year, to say we need to make sure that we have a strong base. B is believe Jesus Christ died on the cross for me and show that He was God by coming back to life. That's His resurrection. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15, it is this good news that saves you if, if you continue to believe the message I told you, unless, of course, you believe something that wasn't true in the first place. He says, I passed on to you what was most important and what has been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins just as the Scripture said. He was buried and He was raised from the dead on the third day just as the Scripture said. That's the message to believe. That's part of the base. If you don't believe and have that at the beginning and part of your base, then you're not a believer. You're not a Christian. I don't care whether you've been christened or catechized or been a member of the Baptist church for all your life and your granddaddy was a Methodist preacher and your grandfather was a Methodist. It doesn't matter. God has no grandchildren. You've got to believe you got to believe the message. There's a specific message. Christ died for our sins. He was buried and He was raised on the third day. He was resurrected from the dead. That's the very core of our faith. you got to believe that. you got to believe it. And believing isn't just head knowledge. You can recite a catechism that you grew up with. Now, there's a big difference. There's 18 inches between the brain roughly, 15, 18 inches, and in the heart. It's not an intellectual assent. I believe in Muhammad, but I'm not a Muslim. I believe in Joseph Stalin, but I'm not a communist. But I believe in Jesus Christ, and I'm a Christian. What's the difference? I'm not believing in somebody just as an intellectual knowledge of history. I'm believing in one that I have entrusted and committed my life to. That's what believing scripturally is all about. The next is A. Believe, A is accept God's free forgiveness for my sins. Romans 3.22, we are made right with God. How? By placing our faith or trust in Jesus Christ. And this is true for white Anglo-Saxon Protestant Americans. Is that what it says? This is true for those that live in the United States. No, it's true for what? Everyone, without exception, who believes. Accept God's forgiveness. You see, He can come in to your life today. How many of you ever had an Etch-a-Sketch? Before computers and electronic Game Boys, that's what we were dealt with as children. That's why we're so messed up. Right? Right? <laughs> Right? But you know the good thing about the etch sketch? And you start over. Listen, some of you need God to take your life. Clean it out and let Him start over. Some of you need to start 2024 with a clean slate of knowing that you're forgiven by God. S, if you know that, S for building a base is switch to God's plan for my life. Mark 1:15 says to turn from your sins to repent. I like Romans 12:2 from the Phillips again. Another paraphrase. Again, these are these are helpful, they're not translations, but they're helpful understandings of the language of New Testament. But I love the way, that you don't see it much, it's not in print much anymore. But I love the way uh, J.B. Phillips words, Romans 12 too, don't let the world squeeze you into its own mold, but let God remake you so that your whole attitude of mind is changed. You see, switching is repentance. Switch. To God's plan, repent means that you're going down one course of life and you're going to change. You're going to switch and change directions. Some of you need to change directions of your life today. Today. Some of you are engulfed in sinful behavior that is habitual and cancerous to your soul, and you need to change and say, God, forgive me. Give me the strength to change by your Holy Spirit. And if you don't and you continue, then that could be one or two things. Either you're a rebellious believer or you're not a believer. But some of you need to change and stop what you're doing I don't know if that's prophetic or not, but that's the word of the Lord to some of you. You need to stop what you're doing because you're destroying your life and potentially your family's life, your children and children's children, because of choices that you're engaged in. Right now today, you need to switch, repent, and follow God's plan for your life. Grow up. Get right with God and start doing it God's way because you want to run the red lights in 2024. Let me tell you something you may have run a bunch of them last year, but sooner or later, what's going to happen? You're going to get to an intersection of life and somebody else running a red light in rebellion, you're going to crash. And a base, E, express my desire for Christ to be Lord, Master of my life. Romans 10:9. If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I don't want every head bowed, every eye closed. Nobody moving, getting up, doing anything. It's distracting, and this is a time. Oftentimes, the Holy Spirit moves. Check your phones. Don't let's don't have any interruption. Some, maybe nobody, but maybe one, maybe maybe more. This is your opportunity to pray. And you pray just in the quietness of your own heart, don't let this year end without going in and establishing a real spiritual base for your life. And the quietness right now, if that is you, you just pray, I'm going to say this prayer and you repeat it in your own heart if that is you. You say, God, I need a base for my life. I need a foundation. I'm going to go into this year committed to you. Pray this prayer. Dear God, I believe you sent your son. I believe you sent your son, Jesus, to die for my sins so I can be forgiven. I'm sorry for my sin. And I want to live the rest of my life the way that you want me to do it. Please, put your Holy Spirit into my life to strengthen me, to direct me, to give me the strength and power to obey you and follow you from this moment forward. Amen.